0: Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Division II National Champion Wingate University Head Coach Jeff Gregory. This continues our series of ABCA coaches that were national champions this year. Coach Gregory just finished his 11th season as head coach at Wingate. Wingate has had four NCAA tournament appearances during his tenure. He's also an assistant and player with the Bulldogs. Wingate had a 39-13 record this spring. They got hot down the stretch and were 13-2 in the playoffs. Wingate's team this year is a great example of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts and how stats only tell a part of the story. I was excited to speak to Coach Gregory to find out how a team that hit 289, fielded 960, and had an ERA of 423 won the national championship. Get your pad and pen ready because Coach Gregory gives a ton of great nuggets on developing a program. His pride and love for Wingate University comes through in this episode. He's very thoughtful in his answers to the questions. You can tell he's pouring his blood, sweat, and tears into the Wingate program welcome coach Gregory to the podcast here with Jeff Gregory division two national champ Wingate University entering 12th season as head coach ABCA A-Tech national coach of the year so coach Gregory thanks for jumping on with me
1: thank you for having me on it's uh pretty exciting to be able to be invited and to be able to speak with you
0: yeah it's awesome um Have you had a chance to reflect much? I've asked this of everybody, but baseball guys just don't get the luxury of probably being able to take a breather this time of year, getting caught up with everything. But, I mean, you're 13-2 and in the playoffs, four-seed conference tournament, three-seed in the regionals. Um, You lost your first game of the World Series, lost your second game of the conference tournament. So just talk a little bit about how everything unfolded for you guys.
1: Yeah. Well, first, no, I haven't had a chance to sit down and really reflect on it yet. Uh, a lot of people are like, you know, you need to take a break. You need to soak it in. You need to enjoy it. And, and, I, and I totally agree. At some point in time, I need to. Uh, but during this time of the year, it, it's not really optional. You know, it's I think we got back in late Sunday or early Sunday morning, like around one or two o'clock. And by Monday, I was right back in the office. Just there's things that need to get done. And for, for you know, somebody that
0: doesn't know, I mean, I was a head coach, but for somebody that's listening in that hasn't been in that seat, talk about the postseason stuff and everything that you have to go through.
1: It, it, I mean, it's a lot, you know, so, you know, obviously your season is several months long and, you know, for us, our conference tournament, it, 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 it's hectic. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're playing a lot of games, in a really short amount of time, potentially. And like you were mentioning just a second ago, I wouldn't say we did it exactly the easy way Uh, in our conference tournament. We, we, you know, we won our opener and then we lost our second game. And that just, when you've got to come out of the loser's bracket, you're having to play a lot of games. You're potentially having to play two games in one day. day. And you just, your schedule gets really crunched down and it's, and it's hectic. You don't really get a chance to stop. And, you know, and once we got through that and it's, Preparation going into it, and obviously our conference tournament was earlier. This yeah, year
0: talk than- about that because it seems like your your league, the Sacks, you guys start your conference tournament way earlier than everybody else. Do you do you enjoy that or or not?
1: That's kind of a tricky question. <laughs> I think we as coaches in our league, we do not. Um, you know, just because you're sitting and waiting. In years past, we've had teams that have been playing really, really well, and we've been one of those teams in years past where we. Started playing well toward the back end of the season and won the tournament, and then you're sitting for several weeks uh, before you get a chance to go and play. And if you have a team that does do that in your conference, that you do want them to perform well in the regional, so yeah, it would be better if it's a little bit closer, a little so, bit more. So kind take of us like through that though.
0: I mean, because some coaches have some downtime. How how did you keep your guys locked in for the regionals?
1: Uh, you know, I don't think there's any exact science, but to be honest with you, we came back from conference tournament. I gave them a week off that was the first thing I did. You know, we were about to go into exams. They were finishing exams and just knowing how much energy they put into the conference tournament and and knowing that we were also going to have about four weeks before we played again, we just gave them a week off. Um, and then after that week off, we went right. I wouldn't say right back into our normal schedule. It was trying to get them timing back, get them back in rhythm you know, anytime you take a week off and you're really concentrating your, on your your exams and trying to get that done. And, and then plus we were in a, finishing up a little bit of our exam period. Uh, so it was short practices, just trying to keep them in rhythm, get pitchers, you know, moving around again. And then once we were able to start practice, you know, I, I told them, I was honest with them, that there was going to be a period where I was, you know, going to push them. And, and when I said push them, it wasn't more than anything, but just the volume of what we did that those particular days. And, you know, the intensity level, it wasn't really necessarily the amount of time. It just was going to be how we were going to do it, how many days we were going to do it consecutively, Inner squads getting that rhythm back.
0: Elaborate but on the volume. So You know, when you talk about, for somebody that's listening, maybe doesn't understand volume, talk about how you were ramping the volume up for your guys.
1: I mean, it, opposed to going for like an hour and a half, two hours, which is what we were doing. We were starting to push more of that three hour, three and a half hour. Time frame, And, and then it was a lifting program that was going with it. If we inter-squatted because you do different things from an inter-squad standpoint. So some days, you know, because of time constraints early in the year when you're trying to get prep for your season, if you have an inter-squad day, it's just, you, you go out, it's, you inter-squad, you get your innings in and then you, then you go back. Um, but we took BPs, uh, Beforehand, we got a little bit of maybe some defensive work in, and then we went into an inner squad. Yeah, and so it's almost, squads, like you know, you're,
0: you're almost, almost like a whole pregame. Yeah, you're you're doing almost like a whole pre
1: whole piece. Put them back in that rhythm. Uh, increase the volume. Is is you know there were some times where some pitchers went. We try to get our starters out for about four innings, uh, and then they pinned. But it just was about a week and a half leading into the regional. Uh, you know, we pushed that volume with the intensity with how we were going because you're getting late in the year, and so or some of your more normal practices that you would see in the beginning part of the year that when you're trying to build them up for getting ready for the season and get them used to the timing of it and what they're going to have to do, but also knowing on the back end of the season that they're tired, they've worked hard, they've invested a lot into what they've been doing. So I just was open and told them I was just going to push that, you know, the amount of time that we were going to be on there. We were practicing more in the middle of the day because we didn't have any class classes we had to deal with so it was it was hotter and they were but it was also trying to get them used to being in that format uh because you're going to play today you're going to play at night you never know what's going to be so and lift
0: after practice then
1: we would lift after practice yeah. yes, is that standard that for
0: you guys i mean that that's another kind of inside look here is that standard for you guys during the spring where you're lifting after you're practicing
1: most of the time yes Uh, just based on what I like that
0: also, I, I, I I thought it gave guys an opportunity to, to bust it in practice and then, then back off if they needed to in the weight room, even though we were still in there as opposed to lifting in the mornings. Yeah. And and we do do some different
1: things with it. So typically in season, it's going to be afterwards. I don't do anything early morning and I'm big on that. You have to get your work in, but then you have to have your rest to be able to recover. And we can we can get overzealous at times and start pushing real hard. Uh, well, yeah, you're going to get guys
0: hurt. You know, if, if you are practicing and then they're studying and you get them up at mm-hmm. 5 o'clock in the morning and they're only getting four or five hours of sleep, that's where you run in. that's where the research shows that if they don't get enough sleep and yeah. rest that's where you get into the overtraining piece cuz they're they're yeah. under recovering you know and that's and and
1: even we even set that up in the fall when we're doing it so even if we train 3 days a week in the fall in the weight room it's monday wednesday in the evening in that late afternoon and friday is is early morning because cuz usually fridays will be an inter squad day so that way we go ahead and get our lift in so that way we're not when we want to inter-squad, we're not having to cut it short to be able to get to the weight room because of, of, a, of a lifting time or whatever. So it gives us the freedom to be able to move it around, go into classes, and that's how we finish our day. And then the season, because you know you're, you've got late nights, you've got games where you're traveling, you're going on the road, you're coming back, that I keep everything in the evening, and that way we're not we're not missing a day if we need it because they, we get back in at midnight after playing a 7 o'clock game on the road. And that way they're still to get their sleep, And it is about the recovery piece of it. I speak to our strength coach all the time and, you know, and, and, or I'm watching guys listening to guys and trying to get feedback from them, like how we're feeling, where we are, just that communication to say, okay, Hey, are we getting what we need to get to? And that's typically how it works. And, and even in the prep, going into the regional, they were, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm like, well, just trust me on this one. We're going to, we're going to push the volume. We're going to go a little bit longer days. I said, once we get to that, cause we got to get that, we got to get used to being back in that environment and that amount of length. And then once we got through that, it was back off practice time. And so practices were an hour and a half, maybe two hours. We would concentrate on some defensive pieces. Uh, it was more about being really efficient with your work. And as long as the work was really focused, really detailed, I'm good. And in that way they could go still get their workouts in. Um, then they had time to be able to recover. And and honestly, they didn't have anything going on to be, to be people, to be kids and, and kind of have some fun. So pitchers were out playing golf maybe later on or something like that, just finding ways to get their, their heads, their minds off of it. And, you know, and then you get into the regional setting and, you know, you know, you're going to have a really tough opponent right out of the shoot. And we feel like in our Southeast region that we have a really tough region. Um, there's a lot of good teams that were in the regional. There's a lot of good teams that didn't even make the regional. Um, and, to step into it and just kind of, I guess my biggest concern was, since we'd had a a long layoff, uh, I knew we played really well toward the back end of the season and that we played really well in our conference tournament. I was mostly worried about the first three innings. How are we going to settle into a ball game? What's going to happen? Where it may be. Uh, Dula was really good on the mound in his first inning, and we were able to go clean. And then Mellet, you know, the second pitch he saw, hit it about 500 feet is what it felt like and our energy in our dugout just went it went right back to where it was and i went okay so then we settled in and it was back and forth we had to play really well they did a good job and we were able to win that game and then you know obviously second game then you got to deal with weather so then you have a you know your typical rain delays you you're there for most of the day long days and then you got to come back next morning and you end up playing basically twice on one day and we played really really well and then having to face a a a hot Columbus state team on that championship day. And their starter, I mean, was phenomenal. And I'm going, this, this is, this could be a really long day because he's, you know, he's got three pitches working for strikes and, and our kid, a credit to obviously to them, but credit to our guys. You know, we had one opportunity late in the ball game to push some runs across and they, we took advantage of that one opportunity. And, you know, throughout the year, you, kind of prep your guys and like if you can get there if you want to be there you want to be in that environment when you have limited opportunities you have to take advantage of them and they did and it was funny because as soon as we did that and we took a lead i didn't even have to tell any bullpen guys to go to the bullpen like they all ran to the bullpen and all everybody started getting loose um so that was kind of exciting to see and then for our program it's been big because it's there's a there's a really long history It's some really good players uh, some really good coaches, in my opinion. Um, and for us to be the first ones to knock down the door as far as going for a World Series, that's special. And, you know, in the conversation just with our guys, you know, on the way back, enjoy it. We talked about it, relished it. With, you know, I went back and on the back of the West, which I, don't, I typically don't do and kind of talked to a couple of our seniors. And, you know, it was just kind of trying to soak it in a little bit. And then when we got back, it's, is this all we want to do? or Are we satisfied or are we still hungry? Uh to their credit we you know found a way to get it done with I guess I joke about it, it's kind of our style because we don't do it, we don't do anything probably the easy way I mean we lost early in the conference tournament we did it we did it pretty clean through the through the regional obviously and then we'd lose our first game in the World Series and then you're just you're playing elimination games the rest of the way through um, which so a, the,
0: actually at times because if you can keep rolling you're gonna play somebody that's coming off a
1: loss right that's Once we, once we beat Southern New Hampshire at that point, moving forward, you felt like we were going to build some momentum because we're going to have to start playing regularly. And for the most part, teams that we were playing were coming off a loss. So I feel like the psyche is a little bit different going into that. We're playing better. We're winning. They're coming off a loss, you know, and, and that, and it was that way until we got to Angelo state again. And we just, we played really well. And then, so, Again, after that game, having to play them again. Now they're coming off a loss. We're coming off another win, and you're just building momentum. And you know, and, I, and
0: you guys I, are strength in numbers. I mean, and and again, you guys got hot late. So you know, if you if you split the season in half, those numbers probably look way different the second half of the year for you guys in the beginning. Because if you look, like, 289 as a team, fielded 960, 423 ERA. It, like, if you look at the whole body of work, you're like, okay, that's not a, a national championship team. But those right. those numbers down the stretch, probably way different. But look at a guy like Brody McCullough. He had 20 appearances, five starts, and four saves. And I was going to ask you that. It looked like you had about nine arms that kind of carried the load, which for me is amazing that you guys won it because – you were asking about nine guys to, to carry the load. You had 13 pitchers, but you know it seemed like you kept everybody healthy and, and guys probably performed a little bit better at times. And it's just amazing to me when I'm looking at your numbers on your pitching side that, that you carried the load with nine guys basically and not overused guys. You spread it out among all nine of those guys. It's crazy.
1: Right. And, yeah, early on, when you look at our numbers, they don't jump out at you. Uh, which I think is phenomenal.
0: Well. I think it's awesome. Right. I think it's awesome. Well,
1: yeah. And it's, and, and it's, we didn't, we didn't play well early. So right out of the shoot, first game of the season, like, yes, we won a ball game, um, but we were not good defensively. We made some mistakes. And so you're instantly digging yourself out of a hole. So like, if you go back in and check numbers and early on, you're like, then this team is filled below 900. And as a coach, you're going, Oh, like that's not anywhere near where you need to be. But you also know that you're coming off a, a, a tough time, you know, and having to deal with COVID and, they haven't played a game in, I mean, a long time. So how do we settle into that? And we had some bits and pieces. We, you know, we had some holes that we needed to fill, to fill as far as in the lineup or positionally. And it took us a little bit of time to figure that out. And then second week into the year, you know, we made it. We made a, you know, a, a move on the infield and put a guy there. But you're going to face a really good team that does some different things. And so you know you're you're putting him in a new position, and you're challenging him right out of the shoot so during that stretch we just didn't we just didn't play well but after that we started playing more consistent and we were playing really well against really good teams and we had a challenging schedule uh you know even inside of our league there was adjustment that we made where we're going in we're playing four games in the weekend and all that's COVID related and and so it's it's not having a playbook for something that you've never done before and so it's really trying to watch your team, really trying to see how they perform. And, and I was open with them. I said, guys, we've never, we've never done it this way. We're, not, we're now playing four games in a weekend. Um, we're playing two double headers, back-to-back days. And I knew how I felt after a weekend, and I'm sure they felt the same way. So it's just trying to watch that and monitor it. And instantly, I went right in my head. I'm like, I can't practice the way we practiced before. Um, so it was trying to be as smart about it as possible to make sure that they could perform whenever the when the lights went on that they could play and they could play the the level they wanted to you know and so and and, and yes, we got better as the season went along um, and there how,
0: was how are you players. able to stay patient i mean knowing knowing all that, how were you able to stay patient early in the year
1: um just knowing that it's a building process i mean I've been doing it long enough and Early in my career, I was impatient. I wanted to be perfect every single time, and I guess maturity even hits for for us coaches at times. And it's just knowing that it was going to be that way, and we felt like we had a good team Um, because coming off the year before, we'd gotten we just had one. We had a hiccup at the very beginning of the year, and I think it was dealing with expectations that we had put forth for ourselves, and we played really well after that. So we knew we had a good team coming back, Um, and. So it's just trying to stay comfortable in that and, and not even when we started, when we hit the, I think we lost four in a row early, just not hitting the panic button with it and, and just kind of it just it, for me, it's all about process and not really concentrate on the end results. It's we need to do this very well. We need to do this very well. We didn't do this the way we wanted to and what we're capable of doing. So let's concentrate on those things. And so you get more wrapped up into trying to develop your guys, develop your team, try to make it the best version of itself. And that was really my concentration piece. I really wasn't diving into, did we win or lose a ball game? Like, how do we play? How do we go about it? The things that we need to be good with, did we do that part? And just really kind of soak it in and not trying to get too overly emotional with wins and losses and everything else.
0: What are you tracking in game? And then during training for process stuff,
1: uh we have our game goals that we're trying to achieve and it's you know some goals defensively and from the pitching side of it that we're trying to track offensively is there's pieces that we want to be good at whether it be quality of bats how many runs were scored in big innings um you know and then we're tracking our quality at bats we're putting charts across the board and everybody's gonna be a little bit different and then you know that 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 whole process has changed over years because now it's more our team individualized opposed to being one of those generic pieces that you see out there. There's like, we pulled these pieces and now our guys know, Hey, if we hit X amount of our game goals, we're going to be in position.
0: What are your game goals?
1: Yeah. Well, we got eight different ways you can have a quality of bat, and it's, and it's, you know, you start with, you know, you find a way on base hit by pitch it's a walk. It's a hit. It's advancing a runner. It's an RBI. Um, you know, and then for us, we went in because part of what we want to do is I think sometimes when you, when you do those things that you can leave out a guy might like have hard contact and really hammer a ball and it doesn't qualify or quantify as a quality of bat if we're not careful with our chart and so then we went back in and added hard contact. That that was um, always
0: part for me too. Was hard contact was all that was at the top was hard contact. Um, yeah.
1: You know, and just, so, it, yeah, because yeah, again, it's, that, it's going out of those pieces. Yes. And that way, cause, cause that's what you want. I mean, you want guys, you know, it, this game's funny in that way. I mean, you can actually hit a ball on the screws and have nothing to show for it. And then you could not find a barrel the entire game and probably have four hits, you know? And so you want, you don't want to take that away. And, and so those are some pieces that we track. And then obviously, you know, from the pitching staff side of things and the defense. You know how we manage in the game. You know, we, are we eliminating big innings? Um, are we keeping our pitch count down where we want it to? Because then we're attacking the zone the way we want to. We're putting people away the way we want to. Uh, we're not. We're, we're not. We're not overextending ourselves. And so those are you know just the basic stuff that most people track. You know, and then in in practice, I, I guess this is an adjustment I made after a really tough season in 2017 and I had to go back in and look at a lot of things. So I felt like I spent a lot of time raising my voice in practice, getting things across. And I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect, you know, because what I'm seeing if we're running a defense is probably a little bit different than what they're saying. And they're probably feeling like, okay, well, we're running it correctly, but then we're, you know, in my opinion, we're not. So it's going, now we go back in and we chart everything in practice. What percentages are we running our one defenses? What percentages are we running our first and thirds? And I don't, you know, we, 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 cover how we're going to run it. We're going to cover execution. And then I go back in and I chart it. And so I just, I go through it and then I go back in and I add it all up and, and calculate it. And we know the standard that we need to run into practice. And it's based off a of grading scale, A, B, C, D, E, or F. I mean, they know that and they know a D is not good. They know a C is basically the best of the worst. Um, and so we talk about, how we need to execute in practice to be able to execute in the game. When are
0: you posting that for guys to see it?
1: Uh, sometimes I don't post it. Sometimes I just review it the next day at practice. Or I'll, when I send out my practice schedule every morning, I'll have it on there. And so that way they can see it. And, you know, if we're doing execution week where we're working on the small facets of what we want to do offensively the results will just post it on a locker room door. So that way when they walk in, everybody sees it and they know to check it. And it's just kind of that environment that we've created over the last several years um, for guys to be able to see it. And you can't run from it. I mean, it's going to be their numbers. Don't lie. Um, and, and, and it was, and it's fun because we had a really competitive team and that was something that really stuck out about our guys. They were super competitive. Um, but they also, when you threw something at them new, they may struggle with it that first day. But then the second time they saw it, they were, it was different. They knew how to handle it and they were good. Um, How how do you know
0: that in the recruiting process that you're getting competitive kids? I I think that's always the X factor. Uh, You know, there's some luck with that, but you know, do you take care of a little bit of that in the recruiting process?
1: I think you try to, and I'm still one that does a ton of homework. I want to know exactly what I'm getting. Um, And so you know, in a fast paced world with recruiting, I'm still one. I, sometimes it hurts you. Sometimes it doesn't.
0: I was the same um, way. I took my time
1: with guys. I, I want to know the background. And so I'm going to call everybody I need to, and, and you start talking to people. And if you hear that and you can see it in the field, because after you've seen him play, after you watch him play and you go back and you make a couple of those, those phone calls and the guy in the coach is telling you like this kid's competitive, like every single day of practice, every single day. Like, and so you know what you're getting. Um, sometimes it's multi sport athletes that you know that. Uh, and sometimes it's just watching them uh, as they play. You know, you can see when they put themselves in that environment of how competitive they are. And you can see it, whether it be in at bats or pitches and, and challenging situations, do they step their game up a little bit? And, you know, for instance, like Bertie McCullough is one of those that when I went to go watch him pitch, you know, he'd come to a, one of our camps. Um, and it was during the time where I wasn't around just because my son spent several weeks in the hospital with a rare condition, and we were on that. And when I got back in, you know, Coach White, Coach are like, hey, you, just, like, you need to see this guy. And so I remember the thing that stuck out about me was when I went and watched him, it was from a small private school in North Carolina. And, but when, when he got out in the mound, you could just see the competitive piece of it. Uh, he didn't have the top end velocity at the time, but, you know, there was a piece where he put himself in a bigger environment, because of where he saw them and those kids and he's facing super talented kids and he did not back down one bit and so you're like okay now we're on the same page like I like that I like those kids that can really compete and really want to work and so you can go through the recruiting process you can find it and and then obviously here at the program we try to facilitate it you know you you've you create as much of a competitive environment as you can And that was something that those guys really fed off of. And they were challenging themselves all year long, you know, every little thing, you know, and I even heard it throughout the season, you know, and and some of our freshmen came in and like just jump right into it and were challenging some of the older guys and the older guys were challenging some of the younger guys. And it just was really fun to see it. And then from a coaching standpoint, it was it was a lot of fun that if I challenged them and I had to find ways to challenge them. Well, what were some, some
0: things for you that you're finding ways to try to challenge them?
1: Um, it's throwing different things at them at practice. And so that – and I like it because that challenges me as a coach. Because I have and, – and, and even a personality flaw probably for me. Because I am as big of a routine guy as there is out there. I, I love the routine. So how do you create that routine but then keep a freshness to it every single year? And so every single day, whether we were practicing, it was conversations as we were, if we were meeting as a coaching staff, what can we do that can challenge them? And it might be just all, altering your drill a little bit and then finding a way to put them in a game-like scenario as much as possible. So, for instance, if we wanted to work on bunt, if, if I just said, okay, we have, we're going to work on bunts if it's not a competitive drive, it's almost, it was a little bit like going through the motions with them. They, some would get it down. Some wouldn't not. Okay, so let's go bunt scrimmage. We're going to go live bunt scrimmage. And that's what we would do. We would, we'd covered our bunt defenses and everything else. But if we want to add it in, okay, so we turn it in a game. I divided up the teams and then I told them they're coaching the teams and let them have some fun with it. And, you know, gave some parameters of how we're going to do it. And we, we, we would have an inner squad. And so trying to find different ways of doing the same thing was that competitive piece. And that was, I guess, a fun part for me because we can all fall into a rhythm. But, but just trying to find ways to do the same thing differently and put in as much game like to allow them to compete, to allow them to do those, those parts and just trust them that they're going to be prepared for a game. And they taught me that probably much as anything because I think as coaches, we want to make sure we do everything exactly right. We want it to go perfectly going into a game because that tells us that we're going to be ready to play. And sometimes that you know, that makes a difference in a ball game. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I just really learned to trust them because we did our work during the week when it was game day. Let's, let's go out and let's see how we execute. And then I would take my notes and, and kind of watch how it goes. And then, you know, we would discuss it the next day or after the weekend was over. And that's where we were able to really dial in on, on what we needed to.
0: Give your coaching staff some love.
1: Uh, well, coach white coach ran. They are, they were phenomenal. And then obviously Ben Curry came back on staff this year. And Ben was a guy that had played for me and graduated in 2014. And he's kind of being a super competitor. You know, he's a, he was one of those guys, that if you put him in an environment, and I talk about him all the time because it was, you know, our he, he, he won a ball game for us and had nothing. You know, he was starting pitcher. He went complete game. He didn't have any kind of fastball command. Couldn't throw a breaking ball where he needed to. And everything was consistent. And he had traffic on the bases all day long. And I still talk about it because it's one of those starts that stands out to me. And I use it as an example for our guys about what competing is. And literally, we won a ball game two to nothing. And it's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. But it tells you a lot about who he is. So even when he comes back, he's been working out in the business world. And he called me up and was like, I want to get into coaching. Fantastic. But I'm like, you're not working with the pitchers. So you're going to handle the outfielders. And so he took a lot of what we did and he took a lot of stuff that he'd worked with um, being where his stuff was. And he just really managed his, his position and took a lot of pride into it the same way. Dusty White and, and uh, Jacob Rand were the same way that they took a lot of pride in what they've done. We've been together for six years. Dusty was another guy that had played for me when I was an assistant here. And we have been working on it for years about trying to get when I took over as a head coach about him trying to come on staff but either the right position wasn't open or the timing wasn't quite right. And then in 2015, I was actually heading to the beach with my family and my assistant at the time had gotten a head job at a junior college level. And so it was like, I looked at my wife and said, look, I'm not going to be able to enjoy a vacation unless I handle this. And she's like, I understand. And I literally made one phone call and I called Dusty and was like, I got, barely got the sentence out of my mouth. He's like, I'm in, I'm ready. This is the we're ready to go. I said, okay, perfect. And so now I looked at my wife. So now we can go to vacation. Um, but he's done phenomenal. And he's, and he's super detailed. He's a, he's a, you know, he's really worked into a, a tremendous recruiter. And, he, you know, at the time when he, when I hired him, he didn't have the recruiting experience because he came from a, from a high school program. But you know what he did with pitching staff. You know, he was very detailed. And he was very much that way as a player that you could watch how he worked. And he was that way. And so, you know, to have two guys that I coached on staff, phenomenal. Well, Just and you were that guy, work.
0: too. I mean, you played at Wingate, so I yeah. mean, y- you know that that can work, bringing a, a guy back that was a player in the program because that's what you right. were.
1: But yeah, and, it, and it's, they understand the system. They understand what, what I, my expectations. And then do you, do you have to teach them a couple things? Yeah, absolutely. But once you teach it, it's like, here, go. And then Jacob was, you know, he had played at a conference at a conference school, but he was from the area, from the county, so he knew all about the school, and hired him fresh out of college, and to watch him learn and to watch him get to where he, you know, where it was, and just all of them just continued to give them more responsibility, and and just just kind of managed it, kind of oversaw it, and and let them work, and they did a phenomenal job, and you know, whether it be putting together, you know, some some scouting report plans or some ideas, being able to bounce the different things in. And, 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 you know, for me, really challenged them on making some decisions. You know, everything that we did, I'm, we talked about what we were going to do, what my thought process was going to be, but then they echoed everything, but did a phenomenal job and had just been that way for, for years. And so no surprise that obviously that we just continue to get better.
0: You know, how do you set those parameters for those young coaches? I mean, it may be a little easier because you have some guys that played for you, so you still have, <laughs> you have a little bit of a relationship built up. But, but how do you set those parameters for the young coaches that are inexperienced? Like, here, here's what I expect, but I'm going to give you some responsibilities as you go. But how do you set those parameters for the young
1: coaches? I, I just think it's just trying to be as detailed with them as possible. Here's my expectations. Uh, this is what I want from you um give them things to do initially when they go out recruiting here's some guys that you know we've already committed so now you now you're familiar with it now you know what it looks like and just you let them work and 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 i did and i've done that with all of them you know my bosses did that with me and i think as as a head coach and as a boss or whatever however you want to deem it that you have to be comfortable of them making mistakes
0: yeah, I struggled with that to, quite a bit. When, you know, I was an assistant for 15 years, and when I, I first got to Western as a head coach, that was one of my biggest things I needed to get over the hump with was letting those guys do their jobs. That was a struggle for me.
1: Yeah, my my wife told all,
0: me that. She goes, you're going to have a hard time with this, being a head coach. You're going to have a difficult time because you're used to doing everything.
1: Right. Well, you know, Coach Nash, when I worked for him, he, he – he, I don't I want to be careful. I say, like I don't want to say he's mic. he micromanaged me, but he let me work. But there was a lot of decisions that had to go through him. Everything went through him. And and that was kind of how that was. And then when I got a chance to work for Alan Osborne when he came in after Coach Nash got out of it, you know, he he let me work and he let me make those decisions. And he, but he was clear with me about how he wanted it done, what his expectations were, what he was looking for. And if I went out and when I was recruiting for him, I saw a guy. He goes, "What did you think?" And I here's what I think. And he goes, "Okay," and, I, and kind of stepped back a little bit. But he trusted me. And but I mean, I made some mistakes. And yeah, maybe how we respond to it's probably a little bit different now, um, as far as how he maybe responded with me. But he, but he, but he gave me the ability to go to work. And so did Coach Nash. But it was just in different ways. And I think, you know. Oz was really clear, like, you got to delegate. Once you get to it, like, you can't do it all. And if you want to be really good, like, you, there's no way. And that was hard for me early, to delegate responsibilities, because as I tell my assistants, like, when you guys make mistakes, if we're not on top of it, like, our bosses don't come looking for you. They're going to come find me, and they're going to talk to me about it. So let's try to be really detailed with what we do. Let's be, you communicate with me, I'll communicate with you. And they learn super fast learners. And so it just happened really quick and you just, boom, here you go. And, and they've been phenomenal. And so it's just really kind of taking a step back, you, you know, just managing what's happening and just overseeing it, looking at it, make sure like, hey, you communicate with me, I'll talk to you, keep me in the loop with what's going on. And then we'll just go from there, and that's what we did. And they just, I mean, they they have worked tirelessly, and they've done a phenomenal job.
0: You know, you kept, you've done a good job with your pitching staff. Do you feel like the weight room has helped that piece keep guys healthy with position players and pitchers?
1: Yes, and I've always been a big proponent of it. And I, I Uh, I learned that early on. Yep in my high school days, but then coach Nash and I tease him about it was completely different. I think he felt like that if we walked into a weight room that we were going to look like, you know, the Arnold strong men and, you know, and, and I think that was his concern, but that's really old school. But in growing up in the environment I did, like it helped me. me too. Um, I was not the biggest guy coming out of it, out of high school, and but I was strong. And so I could at least hold my own. Um, where I needed to, but I needed a lot more. And that was part of my development as a player. But, you know, the school going in, I don't know how many years it's been now of adding a strength coach, where early on in my career, I was trying to do both and trying to learn all that and trying to run it.
0: Do you think that helps you now, though, because you did have to run it? That You know, not that you're going to program, but you at least have a feel for it because you had to do it. Yeah,
1: yeah I've I, I got a feel for it. I know how like the body's going to feel. I know how the body's going to respond. Um, you know, and so like, is as your, you're mapping everything out and, and planning for a year? You just know kind of how this is, this is what's going to happen. So I know even now from a practice standpoint that when I talk to our strength coach, that he's going to start loading them up during this phase. And I know when we hit this phase, I know how we're going to be. And I understand, and I'm okay with that. You know, so I know practices may not look real good during this time frame, and some guys are going to be complaining about not feeling good. So I have to regiment what we do uh, based on that. But I'm okay with it because the whole goal is to be able to perform in the season. But yes, our strength coach—it's a—it's a big—it's a, big, a big piece of what we do, and and he's been phenomenal because he echoes. We talk every year going into the year, like hey, some things I saw. Here's what we can do. Here's, you know, can you can you help me with this? Can you get this part of it? This is what I'm really trying to push this year. I needed you to be a part of it. And he's been phenomenal. Um, he's got a football background, but the interesting piece to him was is that he hurt his shoulder while he was playing. And so he went, he's, he's super intelligent. So he dives into the shoulder about how it moves, what's supposed to happen. So from our benefit, that's, that's phenomenal. So now, you know, in part of our training, is that the pitchers have got you know, their shoulder mobility work. And he's like, look, I know when they start throwing, it's going to start tightening down. So we're going to make sure that we're keeping the range of motion, that we're keeping the movement pattern the way we want to. And so we're doing all this prehab work now. And I'm like, that's phenomenal. You know? and, and he understands. And he's got a great perspe- you know, perception of it and everything that we need to. And he's like, look, they didn't come here to lift weights. They came here to play baseball. So it's my job to make sure that they can do what they came here to do at a really high level. And, and the guys love it. And there's a ton of energy when they go down there. He's pushing that. Uh, he's pushing that accountability, which is the same thing that we're promoting. And they bought into it. And there's benefits from it. You know, we stay healthy, um, we're able to keep guys on the field, and they're able to form at a high level. And so I'm a huge proponent of it. You know, and, and the whole phases throughout the year, there's different phases that we're going to, but practices are planned around the weight room. You know, it's just – if it's part of our hours, it's part of our hours, and that's going to be the commitment to it.
0: What type of prehab are you doing for practice then, too?
1: Uh, Mostly what I stress to them, you know, everybody's doing some sort of band work. Prior to position guys, pitchers. Pitchers have got a little bit more of a detailed um, plan than than position guys, but here's what we're doing. Uh, You know, anytime – like, we don't just do your standards stagnant stretch prior to practice. It's movement. It's get the body prepared to move. And then, you know, here's your throwing program. But it's also stressing to them, like, yes, we have a trainer on staff, but a trainer is not here to keep you off the field. You know, sometimes we tend to get scared of an athletic trainer because we think if we're a little bit banged up, that they're going to tell us we can't play. And so some guys tend to shy away from getting in there, and they try to, you know, actually hide something, but they, the competitive piece, well, like, this is why we're doing it. They want to be on the field. And so it's, it's really understanding that like, Hey, our athletic trainer here is to support you guys and then keep you on the field. That's what they're trying to do. So we don't need to use the training room as a reactive tool. We need to use it as a proactive tool. So start taking care of your bodies. We can, and start stressing that, you know, from the very beginning that, you know, do it on your own. You, you know, who you are, you know, how you feel. And so whatever you need, let's take advantage of that. So if let's do the work prior to. So we're, we're not risking the injury. We're I mean, we're already going to be at risk anyway of, of playing the sport and performing, but if there's more stuff that we can do on the front end of it, then the more likely we're going to be able to protect ourselves. And so now it becomes prehab opposed to rehab. And those are the pieces that you're stressing and, and they're, and they're diligent about it, you know, and you know, for, for like, for David Nash, he knew his body as well as anybody. And he's been doing this for a while. I mean, he's one of those super seniors with COVID. Um, and you know, he knew that it took him a full week to be able to recover after a start. And he knew he had to get in there and he had to get his treatment. And, and, and but that's what, that's the schedule he developed for himself. And he knew it to be able to get on the field for him. And then I think me as a coach, that I have to understand that if you, if you try to get too regimented with everything you do, here's the routine, here's the expectation. You guys understand who you, who you are. Here's our format with what we're going to do. We'll allow them to understand that you need to do a little bit more. So Dave would, you, you know, you would, he was constantly doing that. And then like if he came out of practice, he was doing some extra stuff. that maybe looked a little bit different from some, from some other guys, but that's what he had to do to be able to go. In the field. Okay. So, well, then I'm okay with that. And, and so, And in the weight room, there's, you know, obviously the movement patterns that they're trying to put into place. So it's whether it's wall slides, it's band work in there on top of it. It's your 90-90 hip routine that they're putting in. It's foam rolling afterwards. It's little things like that that if you're constantly going inside your routine. It's going to add up to be able to.
0: Yeah, pay it's to so small it things simple. every day. If you stay on top of just the small things every day, right. we would static stress post practice or post lift mm-hmm. just to get the muscles back in a resting state. We used yoga for a little bit of that, just recovery after any sort of activity to try to get the muscles right. back lengthened out and and get them into you know and that sped the recovery process up for guys too. Is was using yeah. like post activity.
1: Yeah, and 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 for me, it's just like we get 24 hours in a day. How are you going to use it? So if you, if, if you get back in your room, you've done all your academic work, that you need to, you're taking care of everything you do, you're just hanging out, stretch. Develop a routine that's going to be beneficial for you. And coaching as much of that as it is of uh, the fundamentals of what we're doing every single day. And guys bought into it. I mean, they were committed to what we we're doing, and it, but it's been pushing that idea. It's, these are the things. If you want to be at, at this level, there is no choice. You know what I mean? You you have to do it. Yeah. That's what you sign up for. I mean, once you,
0: you can go be a regular student if you want, but if if you're going to be a college athlete, this is what you sign up for.
1: Yeah. And then, but if, but if you want to not only be a college athlete, but if you want to excel as a team and as a college athlete, you know, you, you, there's not really much of an option. If you, if you think you have an option, uh, then yeah, you you can say you've been a college athlete. That's basically what it's kind of how you, you know, which is which is fine, I think. But if you know if you create that standard expectation of this is where we're trying to get to, this is what we want to do, um, then you know this just is the commitment level that you have to put into, and it's going to require sacrifices. I mean, if you listen to, you know, the coaches that have been successful, no matter what arena they're in, you know, or listen to players talk about it and. You know, there's some things that stick out to you. And it's if you want to, you know, I heard somebody speak. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they were talking about trying to be the number one ranked golf pro in the world. Well, if you want to do this and that's where you want to be, well, then this is what you have to do. And this is what you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. Okay, but, you know, it's just trying to get get them across to like you don't have to necessarily maybe be that extreme with it. But you need to have to you have to understand of what you're willing to commit to and what you're willing to do to be able to excel in your in your arena of what you play.
0: Any unsung heroes on the team?
1: Yeah, all of them. Uh, if you really want to know it, I mean, this was a well, team well. Yeah, you look that, at
0: the numbers. I again, I, I I went back to it. Like I, I just yeah. think it's phenomenal. Like just. At, if you write something up, like this is a storybook season because it's not like, you can't point to like one guy or one guy right. here, like it's it's the whole group, it's the strength as a whole.
1: Yeah, it, it, it and that's what it is, and you know we didn't really, I mean, maybe a couple second team all conference guys. We had a lot of honorable mention, but we I don't think we had any first teamers, um, which is a little bit surprising, you know. And and then I think as started getting into the all region voting and, and, and pieces like that, that, you know, Brody started surfacing a little bit more, but yeah, I, it like, look, I mean, there's, there's a lot of team goals and every, every guy's going to have individual goals, you know, but what becomes more important? What do you I mean? What do you want to have at the end of the day? And, and so it, it became about the team, the team goals and the team expectations and, and just everybody needs to trust that that that's where it's going to be you know, that all this stuff will take care of itself from an individual standpoint, really concentrated on the team. but it's, we have to play this way. We have to be willing to play up and down our lineup offensively. We have to be willing to play as a unit defensively. We have to be, make the routiners. And if we make a mistake, so what that we have to be able to eliminate that mistake and be able to go play right back in behind it. We have to do our job and, and, and each game will dictate what our job is going to be. But, you know, it, it whatever we got to do to win a ball game, whatever we got to do to be good with our processes to put ourselves in position to win a game. And, and so that's what you see. So like even go back to the earlier question, you're talking about like the pitching staff. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we've concentrated on in the last several years of putting together some pieces to be able to have depth on that pitching staff, because no matter what, the, because that way it frees you up to be able to make decisions because you trust a lot of guys, um, you trust what they're capable of doing. So, like if one, if you wanted to go into a game and you wanted to go matchups, then you had enough depth to be able to go matchups if that's what you needed to do today. If you needed a guy that just needed to go some distance, then he could go some distance out of the pin. If you had a start where he just didn't have a good start, if you need to go to the pin early, that you could do that. Or if you have a guy that just got command of what he's got and he can go a complete game, then he can do that. But then it's, it's how you use them throughout the year you know, and try to really look out for it. And I'm one of those that I try to be careful with it because when you do get into the environment of where you want to be, which is the postseason, then you can kind of turn them loose a little bit more, so to speak. And, and, and trust, you know, if they say, Hey, I'm good. Okay. Well then let's use it and let's do it that way and trust what they're telling you, but they've been through all that and we've taken care of them throughout the year to be able to give them that flexibility to be able to do that. And, and there's some different looks on that staff that, you know, depending on what you needed to do and, this was a tricky year. I mean, yeah, we got shrunk down in games, so we we're not playing as many games. So you kind of knew that some innings were going to be a little bit, you know, limited, but it was telling everybody, like, you better be ready to go play. Because any point in time with, with the way COVID was that it could hit you and it could take down, you know, so many guys on the team But well, we're still going to have to go play our game. And so everybody's got to be prepared to be able to go do it um
0: and four game series i mean they do stink i I played four game series in the valley coached four game series in the valley coached four game series in the big 10 early on but it does force you to use your entire roster in four game series yes
1: it does and and we did that early and i put I, i just said hey this is what i'm gonna do so i gave a lot of guys opportunity and depending on how they perform this is a guy who got more opportunities and shuffled some guys around. And But it was fun because, like, you know, even like Carson Simpson, you know, that like if I needed a him, you know, where he like slightly banged himself up a little bit, there was a game we were playing and we just played really, really well. And I turned and looked at him in the dugout and I'm like, man, we're playing well. And he goes, it's been a fun game to watch. So, like, even a guy that's used to starting, that even when he wasn't in on it that day, it was just like, man, he had a lot of fun watching his teammates perform. And, and they were all that way. So, yeah, there's a lot of unsung, unsung heroes, but they also protect each other. They looking out for each other. They value the successes that they wanted to have. And then, you know, have a guy like Logan McNeely who maybe didn't get the recognition for what he did throughout the year, which is fine. But then in, in the World Series, guy steps up and has the biggest tournament of anybody there on the biggest stage. And, and and when they called his name as the tournament MVP, our guys were just as excited about that, you know. Or, or seeing Tommy overcome like some some little bit of some struggles late that he had, and I had I didn't really throw him in the postseason, and then I brought him in in a huge situation in in, in, in you know against Angelo State, and he's phenomenal, and guys were like so proud of that because of what he had to. Um, To be able to get to that point, and then he executed it. You know, and you hear Carson, you know, talk about like Tommy got the first guy out. You know, that that one inning to finish the inning, and he turned around and looked at Carson. Carson's like, "Yeah, I knew he had it. I knew he was on." And but they're that close, and they're and they're, and so it it wasn't a you know, it's just what we needed to do to be able to make sure our process right to put ourselves in position to win a game, and that's what we did. So if you watch this play, you know, there was a lot of competitive at bats. If, if we didn't get a hit out of it, we tried to advance somebody. And that goes back into your quality of bats. But it was trying to do everything that we needed to do. All the little things where, as I tell them, you know, everybody talks about little things, but like, if you really look at it, there is no little thing. They're all big things. And they're all important that you have to do. And they, and they, and they understood that. They bought into it. And that's how we played. And it didn't rely on one guy. And it was, you know, you even heard... During conference tournament, the bottom end of our lineup, the seven, eight, nine guys got hot. And then I'm starting to hear in conference tournament, they're like, don't let it get to seven, eight, nine. Don't let it get to seven, eight, nine. And then it would, and they would come through, and then it just built momentum through the team. And so it, it was a lot of fun to watch it in that regard. But yeah, it, it was, they played it as a unit very, very well. And they trusted the guy next to them. It didn't have to be them per se. And and we didn't have to rely on one guy, and so it was a lot of balance. And I think when you have that kind of balance throughout your lineup, throughout your your pitching and rotation, and your in your bullpen, and defensively, where you can do different things, you know, I, I, sometimes I think it becomes hard that one guy is going to really excel through it. Um, but that was our biggest strength, making this run, you know, to a national championship.
0: What does it mean to have the, the tournament and carry?
1: Uh, it's awesome. Uh, you know, for us it is. And so, I mean, we've been talking about it for years. Like it's literally right up the road. Why don't, why don't we go? And I had a cool experience a couple of years ago where I went and worked, um, as part of the task force for the 15 under team. I've been over there
0: a couple of times while this is going on to hang out with, with the guys that are over there doing the task force stuff.
1: And it was a lot of fun. So I was part of that NTIS, you know, selection group for that fifteen hundred team. And so while I was over there, I was sitting on the stadium field. Cause like, that's where they put me for the, for that day. And um, I've watching some games. So I snapped a couple of photos and to part of my leadership group. I sent it out to them. I said, this is the goal, you know, just to kind of reinforce it. And ironically, and that was in the summer of 2019 and after we won the regional you know, I sent him the, the photo again. I said, you guys, you guys did this. And they're like, well, we just were talking about that, that text and that photo and everything else, which is, which is cool. And, and so to have it and carry and to see the, the people that came out to support the guys and, and the people that were able to share all this with us, I mean, that's something special. And... To, there was it was more available for a lot of our alumni to come out and watch. A lot of our supporters come out and watch, our families come out and watch. And I even had some high school friends that I hadn't seen in, in years that, you know, that that were there. And so to look up in the stands and, and to see some of them, I mean, it was special. And
0: Well, yeah, talk about uh, your teammates. I mean, you're a player there at Wingate. Talk about how much that means to your teammates that you guys want it.
1: Um, I don't know. It, it means more to – it means a ton to me. Uh, because I got a lot of texts, a lot of text about how proud we, you know, we are of the program and where it is. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, and, I, and I'm, I said it a couple of times that, you know, there's some, been some really good players here and some really good coaches been here. And it was just was really trying to pass along that legacy and add to that legacy of all the hard work they've put in and, and, and knowing all that. And, and that's where it's even like in the recruiting process, people are like, you know, somewhat familiar with it, but didn't know it from it. Like just come visit campus. Just come see it, spend some time with us. And that way you understand what we're about. And people are surprised, you know, like Mike Martin played here he played for coach Christopher and he left here after junior college years and went down to Florida state and the rest is history. And, you know, people don't know that, you know, so like dive into what this program has been about and like, who's built this, who's made it special and who makes it attractive for for student athletes now to want to come be a part of it. And so like all those teammates that that I had and all those alumni, like there was ton of them reaching out and a ton of them like we're coming as soon as we, as soon as we won the regional, like you start seeing it, like, like I've already got my flight book. I'm going, I'm going this day. And they were all throughout the week, they were all coming back and forth. They were all supportive and, you know, and, and some of them, you know, like our sons are growing up together now. And so, you know, to have those guys have been around quite a bit and they were, they were showing up like to some practices. They happened to be in the area. They were dropping by, they wanted, and it was fun to share it with them because they're, they're, they're proud because everybody loves this program. Once you're a part of it, I mean, you're always a part of it. And they, they knew who everybody was. They knew they had followed it and they just, uh, it's hard to really explain, but everybody was genuinely a part of it. And so that, that's what makes it special. What was your path after you finished playing at Wingate? Um, it was literally come right back to Wingate. Uh, I took a year off, uh, I did an internship. I like to play golf as I was growing up. Um, and I did my internship when I was majoring in sport management out of the local golf course. And I just couldn't find a job. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I knew what I wanted to do. I had a path, but I didn't really need to go to get there. So I, you know, I got out of school and I'm going on some job interviews and, and I didn't like, I didn't have any, you know, delusions and grandeur of like walking out and making six figures and being just like, you know, um, those people that you see on TV wearing a suit and tie all the time to work. But I'm going to some of these interviews and job interviews, and I remember one that stuck out. And the guy was selling like it was something about water coolers, those work water coolers, the ones you flip upside down. And I just remember the guy drinking some of the water out of it, going, "Man, oh, that's good." And, I, and he's like, "Here, you drink some." And you, you like I drank it, and I'm like, "That's not what I'm passionate about," you know. And but my story goes as this, and. I grew up in, in, in Laurenburg, North Carolina, which, which is a, probably the smallest county in the state of North Carolina. And it's right on, if you look at North Carolina, is it, is it flattens out and makes that turn down at the very bottom the state. Well, state. You know, Scotland County sits right on the corner. And we have had a really rich baseball tradition. And some of the guys we played with, there was a bunch of us off, you know, there's a couple of teams that went on to play college baseball. But one of them um, was a draft pick out of high school. And of course, as most student athletes, you know, I had the dream of playing, trying to play professionally, too. And I remember it was probably my junior year in school when I was back working out with him over Christmas break. And I just was watching him in baseball. And this is a point in time where he's going in double A. And he eventually cracked the big leagues about two years later and played about three or four years in the bigs. And I just went, I looked and I just went, I'm not that good. And so, OK, let's go to a different train of thought here. But I wanted to get into player personnel, player development with baseball. That was something that I knew. because, Like my friends always told me like, hey, you know, like you see that kind of stuff. Like if there was something going on with their swing, I could kind of point it out. I could kind of see it. But that's how that's how I became successful. I had to. Um, my stepdad was a high school coach and he married my mom, mom right about my eighth grade year. And, you know, he had played back at Chapel Hill back in the early 60s. And so, like, we'd spent a lot of time you know, just talking and going through it. And he spent a lot of time with me, but anyway, so like that stuff fascinated me. You know, I always like putting together puzzles and I always feel like when you add recruiting and you're putting your team together, it's like putting together a puzzle and how do you make it work? How do you make it fit? What's going to be the overall picture of it? So I, I had an undergraduate degree in sport management and, but I knew I wanted to go get an MBA to have the business background to get into that. But I was also stubborn enough uh, and independent enough. I was not going to ask anybody to help me do it. And so I looked around for some graduate assistant positions, and this didn't get anything to kind of hit me. I'm a young guy coming out of school. I'm 22 years old. You Didn't know that you needed to be connected and who to connect it with, and know people to be able to get into it. But I also knew the graduate position, graduate assistant position, was going to open up after a year. So I worked at the golf course to be able to make ends meet. You know, got a chance to work on my golf game, which was fun, um, and spent a year doing that. So I got pretty good at it, but still fall out the game. Well, when the job came open, course coach Nash made me interview. Maybe go through the process and he hired me on so now i can get my mba so i was paying for my mba part of the, the situation was i had housing taken care of and i got a little bit of a stipend and when i say a little bit of a stipend it was a little bit of a stipend you know and but and the but the purpose was was to get the, the graduate degree to get into professional baseball and to start getting a little background well the fact that my stepdad was a coach for years my mom was an educator my grandmother was an educator and then in grad, being a graduate assistant here, like it just fit. Like I love the recruiting piece. I love the practice piece. Coach Nash gives me grief about it all the time because he said, you love practice. He goes, and he was not a practice guy, but I loved it because like, that's the development piece. I love seeing a light bulb go off for somebody. I, I, I genuinely enjoy, like if you're working something and you're trying to get it right, <clears throat> that when a light bulb does go off, just see where it takes them. And have that aha moment. And so, <clears throat> that's where I ended up and man, it's stuck. And I, I got to tell people all the time and I'm, I'm honest about it. I haven't worked in 20 some years. I haven't worked a day of my life and I'm still one of those that's still super passionate about what I do when I go out to practice. I love being involved with it. I love watching guys get better. I love, you know, I, I, I love the idea of putting your team together. Like how do you make the best version of yourselves? And so, and that's a big you know, key piece of who we are and what we do is it's about player development and you know, it's not just on the field, but it's development of people. It's coaching the people. It's teaching them and giving them the tools that whatever they choose to do to be successful, not only why they're here, but why <clears throat> why they're, they're not here, when they when they graduate from here, what they do. And so it's about understanding that, and this is how I was. And so I think our experiences teach us, and mold us into what we are. And then, how do we use those experiences to learn and apply? Which is something my stepdad just drilled into me. It was like, you've got to be constantly learning something. And how do you, like, he used fancy word, like application. 17 years old, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I just, I meant it's like, hey, you apply to college. But as you get older and you start really thinking about it. And so, it's trying to teach the guys, you know, that it's creating opportunities for whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to have the opportunity to do, you've got to create that opportunity for yourself. So if you want to go to graduate school, then you've got to create the opportunity for yourself because nobody's going to give it to you. If you want a chance to go on and try to play professionally, then you have to try to create that opportunity for yourself by doing it where you don't get drafted three days before the draft. You know, what I mean? it's just not, just not how it works. And so what are you going to do to be able to, to put that forth? And that's, who, and that's how I was. That's how I had to be as a player. Because I wasn't the best player when you walked on the field. And I'm open about it. I had to work better than anybody to be able to get to where I I could become a part of it. And I was okay with that. I understood it and I knew it. You know, and so like if there was a day off, I was in the cage. And, you know, I remember Coach Nash would walk down and he goes, Hmm, I figured you'd be in here. And he just would go about his business and go and like, but that but that's who I was and that's how I had to be. And so it's trying to pass along that to the guy, but, but that's how the world's gonna work. You know, you, you have to be able to do that. The world rewards people that are willing
0: to make those sacrifices. I mean, it does. Yeah, It It doesn't always work out that way, but the ones that are willing to sacrifice and work, they usually end up where they're supposed to end up. And, you know, and and And, that's not for, again, you, you said it and you hit the, it's not for everybody, but if you want to be special, there's some some barrier of entry to be special that that's not for everybody, but this is if you want to be great um, and give yourself an opportunity along the way and along your path, these are things that you have to do.
1: Yeah, this is – and, like, look, if you think this game is hard, it's really not. But be, becoming a husband, becoming a dad, like, you really – don't have a choice at that point in time. Like this is what you have to do. If you're going to be the best father, best husband that you can be like, that's difficult. You know what I mean? And, and that's stuff that like I'm open with them and I share with them because those are experiences I go through every single day. And I tell them like, look, my family is making just as much of a sacrifice, if not more of a sacrifice for you guys to do what you want to do. So the only thing I'm asking you to do is just be respectful of, of, of that. You know, Coach White's family is the same way and Coach Rand's wife was the same. thing. Like everybody's making sacrifices for you to do this. So really just be responsible about that and understand, Okay, the only thing I'm asking you to do is just give me your best effort, you know, every single day. That's all I'm asking, you know, and 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 it even boils down to like I'm one of those that like I hate the expression 110 percent. Like I, 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 it drives me nuts because there is no such thing in my opinion. Like you can't do more than what you're capable of doing. So it's give me your best, give me your hundred percent. doesn't have to be perfect, but give me your best effort every single day, hundred percent of that. Then I'm good because there's a lot of people that are trying to create this opportunity they're willing to make sacrifices for it. And so, and you'll understand this. You don't understand it now, but when you get out and you get out in the business world or whatever your next phase is that you're going to do, um, when you're married, when you're, when you're a father and and things that are going to challenge you, like you don't have a choice at that point in time. So yeah, whether we talk about like, Hey, you want to be good and you really don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah. It's partly baseball, but it's really for down the road because I am, you know, what you experience here is the next four years for the next 40 years of your life. And I am a big proponent of that. And, and you're I, still and in I a bubble. A I way. mean,
0: college is still a bubble. You can make some mistakes that, that aren't going to yes. completely sidetrack the rest of your life. If you make mistakes out in the real world, those could set you back for a long time where you, you still yeah. have a bubble there at the college level. And I would tell guys like that. I'm like, you still have an opportunity here to make some mistakes that probably aren't going to completely crush you. Once you get out in the real world, you, you're you not going to get a whole lot of leeway with what you're doing.
1: No. You, you, it's, the world is harsh. Yeah. You know, and the world doesn't care. You know, your boss doesn't care if you're sick one day. Deadlines are deadlines. You know, uh, uh, if you're not feeling up to it, and you're just like that, it's expectations are expectations. Those aren't going to back off. You know, if if you have a child that wakes up at five thirty in the morning because they're an early sleeper, and they come jumping on your like, sorry, that's just that's how it's going to be. Um, and so. Yeah, a large part of what we do here is is for them to understand, you know, that's part of the equation for what it's going to be. Um, my mom and I joke about it, and, and this is, you know, I go back in, I'm one of those, like my, my like, you know, I'll go back to my stepdad, and, you know, my, I was fortunate that, you know, in that situation, my dad was awesome, my stepmother was awesome, my stepdad uh, was awesome, my mom was awesome, and just, like, the environment at work, because you've heard, like, tough things of having to go through that, but my family made it work and they were exceptional. And so my childhood was, was good because of it. But my stepdad was always like going back and like, you've got to be thoughtful of what you've done. You've got to go back in and, and you've got to get perspective on everything that you're doing. And, you know, it's, it's trying to, to kind of pass that along. But, you know, my mom was a big piece of where I am today. So was my I was in, while, while I was in college, You know, she made the decision to go back to divinity school and she's going to divinity school and she's working just as hard as I am. It probably harder. But then she became a a minister in the Methodist church, which, in my opinion, was starting to break down some barriers because like how many times have you heard that? You know, so here you have a woman that's working in the Methodist church and, and she's getting into all those kind of things. And then she became fully ordained. And so all this is happening early in my coaching career and building through the same process. So I had, I have this example to watch. And so we get into these really, you know, introspective conversations from time to time. And we started boiling down college to like, you go to college for one of two reasons. And it's like one to become a functioning adult or two to stay an adolescent the rest of your life. And so that resonated with me because that's, that's a large part of what it is. So you, but how do you get there? Like, yes, you're gonna make some mistakes, but give them ownership of everything that's there, because that's where it's going to have to be. So like, how do we teach them how to give them ownership? Um, how do we teach them to stay committed to academics? Decisions that we make off the field, that everything has consequences and it's whether it's positive or negative, it will be based on the decisions that you make. And, and you're teaching them and you're trying to give them tools, but they're 18 to 22, you know, they're, it's, that's a tough time. If we all go back in and look at it, and I think sometimes the further away we get from it, we sometimes we get a little bit of a different thought of what it was, and, and we all got better as players, and we all did this better than everybody else, you know And And I've always just tried to look at it like I understand how difficult it was for me going through that and the emotions of it, but you' because like you're trying to learn on this is the first time on your own, you're away from your family, but it's the time that you're growing into a, a man, so to speak. And and that's got a bunch of different definitions, and it's, but that's that's hard. Like that's part of life, you know what I mean? And so, and even in that environment, while we're doing this, we still want to be competitive on the baseball diamond. So, but like understanding what they're going through on an every single day basis, but that's important because like once they leave here, they need to be functioning adults. They need to be very good at what whatever they choose to do. And we don't define success as like. By anyone, trust the imagination. It's like, can you make an impact on the world? Can you make an impact in where you are? Can you make an impact on other people's lives of what you're doing? And that's really what you're trying to get across to them on an every single day basis.
0: I was doing some digging. So talk about the Harrisonburg Turks and Bobby Weiss. Uh, I coached at JMU for four summer. I coached at JMU for four years. So I know I okay. know the Turks and I know Bobby Weiss.
1: Yeah, he uh Sandy Moore got me that job in a sense because Sandy Moore was at Catawba. And I guess, like in my early in my coaching career, I, I guess, you know, he just kind of watched me work, or whatever. And he'd spend a summer up there with Bob. And then the next thing I know, I get a phone call from Bob Weiss, I'm like, hey, well, I want you to come on coach. I was like, you know, I'd heard about the Valley, but I never had a chance to play in the summer because I went home and I went uh, and I worked. Um, and then I got up there and 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 I had a blast, you know, and I thought Bob and Teresa, were phenomenal people. Um, now he's a little quirky, you know. But it, but it was it was really a lot of fun. Um, but they really took care of me, and you know, I had the best experience that I've ever had up there that summer. And I mean, I'd spent, I guess, the summer before in the SCBL, and then to have a chance to go up there and see that. And I mean, and it, and and it was it was good because I I didn't have a chance to go off and play while I was in school. And so now I'm, in, now I'm into this from a coaching standpoint and get a chance with that. But it was great because we had kids from all over the country. And it really opened my eyes to, like, how big this country really is. So we had kids from Cal Berkeley. We had, we had one from Hawaii. You know, you have kids from all across the Midwest, the Northeast. And they just were – they were all really good guys. And, and I had a lot of fun with it, you know, and, and trying not to overstep some boundaries. And, you know, as far as, like, what – you're part of this program. So, like, you tell me what, like, what you want me to do, and I'll just be here to help facilitate that. But I'm not going to, like, if you've got a hitting guy that's, they've got a plan in place, I don't want to interfere with that. Um, but it was, I mean, it just had a, had a lot of fun. I mean, sitting over there in, in the dugout with, with Bob Weiss and kind of, you know, it's early. And so I soaked a lot of it in and tried to pay attention as much as possible. I talked to a lot of the other coaches. And I even got to know a gentleman by the name of Tim Christie, was over there because he was at Stanton and he was at school West Virginia at the time. Well, I mean, that became funny because we ultimately became really, really good friends because he had played for Ron Christopher up in Waynesboro. And so he starts telling me these stories that I had never heard before. And they were phenomenal stories. And I, and I sat in coach Christopher's dinner table a lot. Um, Cause one thing I learned early on is I, you know, if you're not the smartest person in the world, that if you just be quiet and listen to people that have had success. And so i had he invited me over you know because his claim to fame was anything you cook into a cooking, could cook in a pot he could cook, so I ate a lot of chili and a lot of spaghetti, but I heard tons of stories and and just you know his whole career, and I just listened and so so then they had this connection up there in the valley, you know I think I was like twenty five I think at the time, I can't remember exactly what it was, maybe a little bit older but then to have this connection up there and hear some other stories that I had not heard before. And then they'll be like, okay, this is exciting. I'm going to get to take these back to coach Christopher. And then I start talking to him about it. And he just gets this, you know, a little smile on his face and which was phenomenal, you know, and, and it was even funnier because I, it was, that was like in 2005. And then I just, I kind of lost connection with him. And then and when coach Osborne came here and I started getting out on the road recruiting and started going to some different events that I remember I drove down to Myrtle beach. Uh, I think coach uh, will There was a firecracker classic or whatever tournament down in kind come of coach a lot of these area schools and i remember sitting in the stands at myrtle beach high school and he's probably 15 20 feet from me and i look at him and then i'm like i know that guy and he looks back at me and like a feeling looking at me and i we finally look back at one another and we're like we're both just staring at each other and at the same time we're like i know you and it and it was him and so then we get reconnected again so like that's that was the fun part about that that league up there that summer and then i'd had a uh, there was a kid that had coached the summer before that was playing up on another team, fairly close. And so to stick, you know, he was from the university of Houston and to stay connected with him, you know, that following year was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but we played in the old ballpark over there, not the new one that you know, JMU, the field that they built up there. I mean, it was a small, league. I had banged my head on that dugout probably 10 times that summer trying to get in that locker room. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you have
0: a fail-forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now, one of the best thing that's ever happened to you?
1: I I really struggled when I when I finished up GA. Um, I I I I applied to jobs everywhere. Um, as we all did. Yeah, and and just trying and like nothing ever happened. Um and so it was you know, here I am and I'm still basically making a part-time salary and I'm just trying to figure out, like, is this ever going to work? I mean, I love what I was doing, but I knew I couldn't keep up the pace I was keeping up. It's like in the summers, I was working on the grounds here on campus. And then after I finished that job, I was going up the golf course again and I was working out there. So I was literally working 12 hours a day just doing that. Not to mention any kind of the recruiting pieces, and 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 trying to go on the weekends, and trying to go watch some ball games when you needed to. But it was going th- you know, through through that kind of stuff, and it was like you never know how your career is going to play out, you know. But I didn't, I, you know, early in my my coaching career, Coach Pollard was over at Pfeiffer University, and he was just starting his coaching career, and he'd interviewed me for for one of the assistant positions over there. And I don't know if I was gonna get the job or not, but it, you know, I, I took my name out of it. Okay, we had some pretty in-depth conversations, but I wanted to finish my master's. And I was worried that if I if I went over there, I was gonna to have to start all over again. And I'd already put some time in on it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to restart this process because and that's where I committed to. And I was trying to get it done. Well, then after I finished my graduate degree in 04, I mean, I, I'd spent a couple, you know, another year or so here trying to figure that out. And I, in, you know, by the time, I think he'd gotten a job at, at Appalachian state. And so I put my name in for that. And I guess because we've had a part prior, prior history interviewed or whatever, he gave me a chance. And I remember I interviewed with him and I, and I, and I was struggling. I was, you know, I wanted like to be able to do something different and to be able to get, a, get there. And, you know, and he went he went in a different direction. But he gave me a good piece of advice that I took with me. And it kind of, I guess, motivated, like, when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. And I guess that's one of those moments where you're like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm, I'm Nothing's changing. You know, I'm trying to get to this piece. But he gave me some good advice. And, and at that point in time, or right about the time that happened, I got a chance to be the recruiting guy here at Wingate. And so I, I'd taken what he had told me just started running with it. So I, I, I guess it was probably Do you mind sharing
0: what he told you?
1: He just said, look, you know, it, this is about, like, ultimate end of the day, this is about recruiting. And and the better you are with it, the better off you're going to be. And the more that you can put yourself in this business. And, and he probably doesn't even, you know, we've stayed in touch over the years and he's been phenomenal to me if I, if I wanted to pick up the phone and, and call him about something to get his opinion because he had access to a lot more stuff like that. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this 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 program right here. What do you think? Because I knew he had access to it. He always he always took some time, and he probably doesn't think that he had a you know a big part of my career. But just that simple you know time where he just takes a few minutes to say, look, this is it's it's ultimately going to pull down about recruiting, and how good you are with it, and and what you need to do, and 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 so I really dove into it heavier. Like, I got to be better at evaluating. I got to be more diligent with what I'm doing. Um, and so you're able to take that and, and, and start working with it. And then when coach Osborne came in, you know, and he'd been some big places, I mean, he had been in East Carolina in the early He and I coached
0: against each other in New York in the summer league. So that was right about the time he was going to Georgia, I think.
1: Yeah. And he, you know, and so he'd been at Georgia and some of those and, and like, and he just, when he came in like, okay, so now you take that piece of information. And then you get a guy like, so, you know, Oz and Oz is intense. And he literally just put the pedal to the floor for me. And Chuck Bartlett was that
0: for me. When I got to JMU, Chuck had been at Kentucky. He had been all over these places. He's a scout now with the Yankees, but he helped me more than anything on the recruiting piece. And like, this is what you have to do. If you, you go and you get back at four in the morning, you go and you get back at four in the morning is like, this is what it is and this is what you sign up for. But if you want to be good, like this is what you have to do to, to make those sacrifices, to be good. And you have to go everywhere and you have to see people. And, and it helps with the evaluation piece. Like if you don't go watch, and I said this the other day, I think at every level of college we have, the head coaches now still recruit and are good recruiters. Like you look at the best programs that we have, the head coach is still very active with recruiting and, and gets after it because they all came from that side of it, the recruiting side of it.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's going to be the foundational piece that you do. And And I still am very – like if I can't get out as much as I used to, I'm still very much involved with it. And I probably wore out dusty and ran because whenever they went out on the road, like I'm calling them throughout the entire day. What did you see? How did it go? I mean, what can you tell me about it? They're sending me videos and I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, and, and so like, I really enjoy genuinely enjoy that. And, and, but Oz, you know, so after hearing that from, from coach Pollard and then, and then getting around Oz and it's just like, you, you've got to work at it. And then, so like already having that background of like, I got to work hard at whatever I do to be able to make it, like, it became the, the the challenge for me was like nobody is gonna outwork me. And so, you know, it would start at you know, seven AM. But the reason it started at seven AM is because like if I got an email at one thirty, I was answering the email at one thirty. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, it was just me. I didn't have a wife to didn't worry about, it. I didn't have a son to worry about, you know, and different pieces like that. So you're able to dive into it. And and just like you said, you've you've got these people that there are mentors that kind of guide you and show my you. My dad's brother
0: different. too. I mean, my dad was still coaching in the seven when he was seventy years old, and was still on the road recruiting at, at seventy years yeah. old because he loved doing, it. and he was good at it. Like he was really yeah. good. And I think, I think sometimes coaches get sidetracked. They think, okay, I'm a head coach now. I don't have to do as much. And and yeah, there are family issues with it. But if you're really good at evaluating, you need to keep evaluating. Like, if you're really right. good at seeing, because some guys can see things differently than other guys. Some guys are able to see a kid as a 16 year old or 17 year old and know that's not what he's going to look like when he's 21 or 22. He's going to look way better than he right. looks right now at, at, at 16. Um, there's some yeah. guys that have that knack where they can see things that other guys can't.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I think it's only that, but I think it's better if you've got, you know, if you can have three sets of eyes that have seen somebody and, and, and watching something that now when you have conversations about it, you can. You know, and it takes the a load a off, time. too.
0: It's not like one guy doing all of it. You, you, you're going to need a breather here and there. You're, you're going to yes. need to take a breath every once in a while. Because if you don't, that's where guys get crispy. They get burnt out. Um, you know, I had multiple friends that got really high-level recruiting jobs, and you would see them a year later. They looked like they had aged 10 years in right. a year because they, they they burnt themselves at both ends.
1: Right. And, you, and, you've, and the thing I've learned, you know, coming a dad – and and being a husband and trying to have, like you got to have balance in what you're doing, you know? And even when, when Dusty had Nolan, you know, he and his wife had Nolan, they're 19 19 months old, you know, my 19 month old son, it's like looking at Rand and going like, you need to carry a little bit more of this because like, he needs to be able to spend time with his son because he's got to be able to do it. Now, Dusty will go out to work. There's no doubt. And, and Rand would do the same thing. But, but then when you start having conversations about, you know, kids you want to recruit and what you're seeing, you know, you, sometimes I can see them on a really good day. You see some things that pop out. but well, then they go see them again, and you, and you see them a couple times, and, like, maybe that was one day that you had. And then you, so you know your top end, you know your bottom end uh, of what they're going to do, and you know about what your average and what you're going to get as a player and kind of from a personality standpoint. But, but to be able to make those decisions, to make the best, best decisions you possibly can, because there's not an exact science to this.
0: No, if, if it put, was an exact science, every first-round draft pick would make it to the big leagues.
1: There's no doubt and so you're but you're trying to eliminate as many of those mistakes as you possibly can and so that way you you know you have you know some consistency with what you're doing and the type of kids that you're going to have here and so like yeah i love it i mean i I love the recruiting and that and that's where you know i've tried to get out the last couple weekend last couple weeks and and like it was right back to it as fast as we can because you know you i mean that's the foundation if we're going to get back there i mean I, i be honest with you. I love being at Carrie. I love being in that environment. Now that you get a taste of it, you're like, I want to go back. And and you know how hard it is to be able to do it. But, well, yeah, it's okay, never cool. happened.
0: I mean, it's you yeah. did something that's never happened. <laughs> yeah, and so like now it's like well, in I a great it program.
1: I, I mean, the history
0: of the program is phenomenal. It just shows how hard it is to get there, but also how hard it is to win it. You know, yeah, Mississippi State. He- I mean, if uh, Mississippi State wins a national championship, if you ask just the average Joe person, if Mississippi State had won a national championship, for sure they would have been like, "Yeah, Mississippi State's won a ton of national championships." Yeah,
1: but. And that's exactly how hard it is because Mississippi state is one of the most storied programs in this country, you know, and we've all seen those pieces like Dr. McGee um, was our president here for forever. And he was an ACC football official and referee, you know, referee you know, national championship games, but Ryan McGee son, And I remember watching those pieces like on thunder and lightning and like, and I knew that growing up. So those are the teams I watched the Arizona States all that like, cause that's what's on TV and it was really limited coverage, but, you were always seeing those programs. And so to sit there and say, okay, this would be their first. And it's the same situation for us. Just not as publicized as like what you're able to see, because we weren't on TV because just in, in the last couple of years, which I'm excited about is the coverage on college baseball. is so much more extensive. Across all levels, all levels. Yeah. You can
0: see it. All the live streaming yeah. piece. And, and that's
1: huge for our yes, sport. For sure. And so sure. now you're finding out more stuff about this and understanding how difficult it is. And but yeah, but once you're there, like, you're like, I want to go back because I love the week. It was the most fun I had. It was the most stress I had. But I love being in that environment from a coaching standpoint. One, because, you know, I think we're trying to see like the job that we're doing. And that's kind of a, a way to evaluate ourselves where we are. But I love the challenge and the fact that like I had to be really, really good at my job. I, you know, like if you make a mistake, it, it's going it potentially can cost you from a decision to whatever it may be. And I love that. I love that challenge, and that goes back into what we were talking earlier about the challenges that you know, how we challenge ourselves and, and how we get better at what we do, and everything else. But ultimately, for us to do that, like we've got to get right back out on the road, we got to get right back out recruiting. And and I'm and, and and everybody's asked me like, how do you think this is going to change recruiting? I don't know. I feel like it's going to have I would keep you know, doing what would, you're
0: doing. I think I think programs fall into that trap where they win it and then they feel like they have to change or there's some maybe other avenues that open up and you know you can look at at any level where you know they'll win it and then they'll start to maybe get out of their area a little bit and they're not getting right. the same. you know, you've you've built this thing on character kids that are competitive. The further you go away from campus to do that, you don't. You can't do as much homework because your contacts aren't as strong. So you know, calling a, a coach in Cal, high school coach in California way different for you than calling a high school coach in, in North Carolina and guys that you've known right. for a long time. That read or or a pro, you know, high school coach that's never seen your program. You know, you, you right. know the high school guys in your area have 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 seen your program. They know the type of baseball that you play. You're not going to get that with guys outside your area, so so then it does become more of a guessing game, and there's a yeah. lot more of those coin flips once you get further from home with kids.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, my response has been I think it creates maybe a bigger pool that we can pull from, yeah. but we still have to bring in our guy. We got here for a reason, and we've been successful for a reason. This is you know. This is how we do it. doesn't mean it's the right way, or the wrong way, or whatever. This is just how we choose to go about it, you know. And I think we've got to be consistent with that. I don't think we've got to forget who we are, um, you know. And so the best way to do that like earlier is to get back on the road and watch these guys and still understand, like, hey, this is what's made us successful and this is what we got to continue to do. Um, and that's, that's the challenge part of it. And that's, I think, going to be the fun part moving forward is, like, we've never been here before. So how do we stay on top of what we need to do and how do we continue to be consistent? How do we continue to stay hungry um, with what we're doing and and continue to try to take next steps and everything else? So that's the exciting part about all this.
0: You talked about being a routine-oriented person. Do you have any morning or evening routines that you do that you really like that you feel like help you stay on top of your schedule?
1: Um, I typically – I'm an early riser and have been for and my wife and son are not early risers. And so, you know, when I can get up in the morning, that typically whether it's trying to get my day set and drink some coffee, and that's the time that I'm able to like, hey, thought process, put my schedule together, you know, whether it be, I just have time to be able to concentrate on me, I guess is the best way to put it, or whatever I need to do. So whether it's getting the schedule together, thinking about the practice plan for that day, Uh, it's reading, you know, if I'm in a book that's like really providing some stuff that I'm, I want to be able to use and like, how do I put that into perspective? How do I use that? And, and, and that's really the good time for me. And, and, and that's the routine. And I've been very, try to be very consistent about just how I get up in the morning and and everything else. But give us a couple of your favorite books. Uh, God. I think the one that that I've read here uh, most recently the last couple that have really resonated are both by John Gordon, you know, the, the the energy bus and the no complaining rule uh, were some ones that I really loved. Uh, My mom early on gave me a book called don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. Um, You know, I, and I even, you know, because I try to use different references across the board, there's been some leadership books, but Harvey Pennick Little red book little green book as far as golf there's a lot of little tidbits that you can take out of there and you can you can apply um you know because I, I think if you can find ways to say what you need to in a different way and, and maybe to give them a different way of looking at things is 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 always good um you know i'm bad with like remember somebody puts me on the slot i don't remember the names of everything i need to but you know Mr. Poston's been really good about giving us some leadership books, and some of them have resonated. Um, but I, I really like the John Gordon books just because it wasn't your straight, you know, X, Y, Z, this is what a leader needs to be. Like, it's a story that it creates, and you can figure out how to apply it, and it's, and it's kind of going through it. And so we use a lot of the principles out of those. Easy and, to digest,
0: and they're easy to get through, too. You know, and. I would give guys books sometimes and you could tell like, they're like, I've got all this other studying to do. Why has he given this to me? I'm like, just dive into it. But I always try to be cognizant. of not putting too heavy of material in front of them because they got all this other stuff going on too with it.
1: Yeah. And if it's, if it's complicated for me to like to really grasp what it's trying to do, and I really have to, to dive into it to get out of it, what it's trying to explain these guys are taking 15 hours, and they're some some sometimes their schedules are super, uh, you know. It's it's reading heavy and it's comprehensive heavy. You know, getting those 300,
0: 400 level classes, there's a lot yeah. of volume for them.
1: So you can't. And those books are easy to read. And so, like over the summer, I'd given them. I was like, hey, this is what I'm reading. You know, if y'all want to read it, and that was really with my leadership group that I started you know, about five years ago. And, and those are, and that's the group that we're able to, you know, different things that we want to do that years. It's the conduit between me and the locker room. And like, this is the pulse of what's going on. And, and those are the guys. So I gave them some of the stuff and they were able to really pull some stuff out of it, which is good. Um, you know, which has been kind of fun because I, I hear them talk about some of the mental stuff that we do and like, they probably joke about it, but I also know it's like sinking in. So like, I'm not as super, you know, as hypersensitive as I was about it before, like, oh, they're making fun of it. No, well, that's just their way of. It's going.
0: becoming the culture.
1: Yeah, it's it's they're like they're using it and they're hearing about it. So, and and so obviously, I know it's sticking. So I'm I'm good with that. And you know, and I just my stepdad told me to write with a pen, read with a pen, take notes, and don't use a highlighter, and and take notes and go back in and mark the pages, and then go back in and reread it.
0: Well, yeah, you're three times more likely to remember something if you write it down. Hey, how are you choosing your leadership council?
1: Um, in different ways. You know, the first time I did it, it was it was upperclassmen. It was some guys that when I had end of the year meetings after a tough year, that really had some good insight, and and so I started with them, and we were adding in mental training but this is like we were we were implementing some new things and some new concepts and they were the guys that were really presenting it and then sometimes it's the year. sometimes the guys like you know they have it in them but they haven't gotten there yet and so you're trying to give it to them to see how they respond to it to see if they'll adapt to it so maybe they're not as comfortable being out in front of their teammates maybe they're not as comfortable about sharing like some of their thoughts they have, but you know that they're they're super intelligent and they got some really good thoughts to provide, but they're just not comfortable being in that. So sometimes it's it's what they need to be able to like help them with whatever they might be. So I've done it that way. Um, and then it's just kind of gotten a little bit bigger. It's just the guys that kind of have kind of been at the forefront, not necessarily like all just players that are in the starting lineup but some guys that you can tell are really committed to what, what we're doing and what we're about and how they go about their business every single day and how they perform in, in all, in all of the areas. But then, you know, it's not just trying to keep it selective, just your upperclassmen. It's also trying to give it to your, to your younger guys too and put them involved with it because it's I'm really cognizant of the fact that when you walk into this program, it's your program. I don't care if you're a freshman or a senior, you're a part of it now. And everybody has the same right to be able to speak and to be able to talk about like, Hey, this is, we can all make it what it's about. And so, and so I've tried to like use, put some younger guys on there and just try to. We had
0: one from each class. That's how we did it. We had one from, from each class. So they, you know, and, try to keep an open door with everybody but it made it a little easier and i I let the the underclassmen choose after the fall so they had a fall to get around each other and was be like hey this isn't a popularity contest this is who you feel like got the best voice in your class that's going to be able to get stuff done for you guys when when we need to make decisions
1: yeah and then like as guys that have been a part of that leadership group is that they're graduating whatever i'm like who do you think would be good and i get their input on it they're like, Hey, this is like, they're really good. And they're spot on. And so that's part of that ownership that you talk about that, that you try to give them and you give it to them and then they take it and they relish it. And it's become a thing. You know, when I, when I asked one of our guys to do it this year and he's like, really? you could tell like the sense of like, Hey, that's a prideful thing to to have. I'm like, yeah, I think you're going to be really good on it. He goes, yeah, I want, I want to do it because that's part of, Part of who we are now and they know it it's it's year to year it's you know whether it be setting the mantra or some things that we got to concentrate on it's that's part of who we are and and it's been fun because i've seen it kind of take its way across campus which has been which has been fun so like people are now asking like what's your mantra for the year um you know what are some things we need to know about you know and and, and it's and we and we take a lot of pride in that and it's been a lot of fun to to see the excitement
0: You let the team come up with the mantra
1: do what now does
0: the team come up with the mantra,
1: the leadership group does, and we've learned from it. You know, the first one we set was like spot on. And then we, the next year's was like based on something that happened the previous year, but it didn't resonate with everybody. It was good, but like, how do we do that? And so all I try to do with it is that group really sets it and they come up with it. But what I try to do is I just try to give them information. So I try to give them some thoughts. Hey, here's some things I'm thinking about. Here's some, some pieces. And I just try to walk them through it, you know, and if I'm reading something, I send out something out to them. that's resonated, uh, like just take a screenshot of it and let them read it. And, you know, and or listen to them talk as they bounce some ideas off of, of each other and then like, just, well, what about this? What about this? And like, have you thought about that? And just to watch it kind of grow, it's like any other kind of idea. You start with some ideas and, and then you let it grow when you talk about it and you let them you kind of share your thoughts about it. And then like, all of a sudden, you, when you hit on it, you're like, like everybody, you can see everybody look kind of about the same way and it's just like, okay, and then that's it. And that's the one that you, that we wanted, we decided to use for that year.
0: Love it. Give us some final thoughts.
1: Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I think at some point in time I'm going to stop and kind of soak this all in. Um, well, you need you
0: know. to. I mean, that's part of savoring all of this. Like you, you have yeah. to savor the moments. And I know you, you've got a lot of other stuff you're trying to get ready for the next year. But you have to to savor the moments.
1: Yeah, but that's that's just who I've always been. Uh, you know, like way. I'm I'm just one. I just I learned early on, and and coach you know, coach Nash always gives me grief. because like if you knew I had a hard day, like whether it be. You know, when I was his assistant, or as a, like I just went right back to work. That's how I dealt. That's how I dealt with things. Same and way. I just went same to work.
0: Same way. And and
1: so, good or bad, right or wrong, like that's just how I am. And, and it's just, you know, I, I guess I was kind of brought up that way, or whatever. And my, maybe my mom's just like she gives me some She's like that's just your built. You know, I, I don't blame you. She's like your grandfather was the same way, and and it is. But you know, I'm a processor, just by nature. That's me uh and a very analytical mind and you know for me from a personal standpoint that i've probably grown as much over a coach over the last four or five years that i have and it's you know through different conversations and it's it's trying to go through all this but you know but being as as i start kind of going through it when i have time like you know when i was driving you know you're driving four hours down to atlanta to go to you know, the world went bad and you got some time to kind of soak some things in and you start thinking about it. And I guess the thing that always kind of hits me from a coaching standpoint is that I don't think, I mean, this is a tight knit community. You know, I I think we all generally as coaches wanted everybody to be successful. And I think the the more that everybody's successful, you know, the more competitive it becomes and the more like, that's where we're getting the challenge part to it. Like how good can we make our teams and, and how good can we make our program? Um, you know, and, and, and really for me, like I go back in and I think there's a lot of people that probably don't think they had an impact on my career that I maybe didn't work closely with that. I just, I sat and listened guys that were successful guys that have, you know, sat up on the stage at the ABCA that I listened to that, you know, the, how they do things. And it's like, okay, well, how do I take that and apply it to what I want to do, you know, and, or it's just conversations that you're, that you're having, you know, prior to a game, you know, or you know, guys like Carl Lancaster, that when you go over there, that, you know, he's like, hey, come on up. And you go and you sit down in his office for a little while and you talk to him, you know, and, and, you know, just, you know, guys like, you know, Kevin Nichols or Jim Gantz that I'm around, you know, quite a bit that you talk to. And they're like, I don't think people understand like how much of an impact they've had on my career because, you know, sometimes I just, like I said, I sit back and I watch and I, and I try to listen. You know, if somebody's obviously doing it the right way and have been very successful, then, you know, I don't need to be talking over the top of them. I need to be listening to what's going on and paying attention to it. And, you know, and there's the guys that you've worked with. And then like all the assistants that have been a part of this, like this isn't a, a, a one time, you know, this has been a building process. There's, there's a lot of people that have made this happen. And, and a lot of people that have made it work because like, it's, it, it, I just don't think one, one team can go in. And, and I, I think it's very rare that somebody just goes in and overhauls a program in one year. And then all of a sudden wins a, wins a national championship. I just don't think it happens. Um, and I could be wrong. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. And so like, it's just really been trying to be cognizant of all that for me, but I'm like, I'm so proud of so many people and I'm so proud of our guys for being able to do it because a lot of stuff that we've talked about, you know, they bought into and they committed to it. And 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 so now they've brought some more some more notoriety to what I've, we've already felt like this program has been, and and that's special. And I think and it's something that like it's nothing that that, that anybody can take away from them for years. And so we talk about the next four for the next forty years. That you know you hear some people talking about like you know when you get championship rings they're just they're just they collect dust and it's not the case because like, that's something that when these guys get together down, you know, when they're my age and they're hanging out it's going to be like, they're just going right back into what they're going to have something that they can go in and share and they can talk about and memories that are going to last for forever. Um, and that's, that's really cool, you know, and it it does create new challenges and it creates new expectations and it's, you know, trying to hold true to your values and and not get carried away in, in all of it. And, but you know, it's just so hard to do, you know, and you talk about it and that, and that's probably been the overwhelming thing for me as I'm going back in, because I think we all want to be able to get to that point. And then to see kind of the path of, of where it goes to and, and some breaks that go your way and some things that are out of your control. And just to see it kind of get to that point, like it's hard, you know, and, and all those programs that were that were there and all the programs that are in like our area, our region and across the country. I mean, it's, it's hard. And I, and that's the, that's the piece where I, I kind of keep trying to wrap my head around in this. I don't know. Sometimes you go like, why now? You know, what, what, what was it that, you know, that, that I wouldn't
0: read into it you? too much. I mean, yeah, you're, I know. you're, I, you're I, putting I, the work I, in for it. Honestly, yeah. like I, you're, you're reaping the, the, what you're putting into it, like you're doing it the right way. And it's a shining example of doing things the right way and getting your guys to do things the right way. And you want that for, you want that for every program that's, that's doing it the right way.
1: I hope so. And and yeah, and I'm trying to over, overdo it, but I told you I was a processor, so I got to work through all that and to have those kind of a, you know, those thoughts and, and kind of be able to work you know to get to that point but I'm, I'm thrilled for our university i'm thrilled for our program i'm thrilled for our guys and and it's a it's a pretty humbling club to be a part of uh, i will say that and i want you know obviously you you want to do it as many times as you possibly can but then you understand like exactly how hard it is so like what do you how do you grow from it how do you learn from it and that's that's the part i take away from it so uh it's it's been a lot of fun it's changed the schedule pretty extensively uh you know but I'm trying to get used to that routine now. That's a lot different than my normal routine, which is probably why I was having some pretty anxious moments about a week into it. My wife's like, what's, lo- what's wrong with you? I'm like, I- just don't worry about it. And so for somebody that's dealt with some anxiety, you know, and, and, you know, kind of growing up, you know, and even now, like when I get out of my routine, that's probably why I have a routine. It throws you off pretty, pretty heavily. And, you know, it became, it became super overwhelming for that first week. And, and now I'm kind of trying to settle back into it. But, like, I even had one of those moments this morning. I'm like, oh, I forgot something. I, like, I knew I had this this morning, but I was like, I thought, you know, I just got mixed up on days. when it's like, it's time. it's good problems to have. Um, for sure. I won't, complain for about sure. It. I won't complain about it one bit. I know that for sure.
0: <laughs> Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're scrambling, so I appreciate you taking the time to jump on. No, I, this,
1: this has been fun. I can sit down and I can talk baseball all day yeah. long. And I appreciate you inviting us on and inviting me on to be able to do that. It means a lot to me. And, you know, what the ABCA has been just over the years, like that's and, – and now to do this, like that's, that's pretty cool.
0: Thanks so much, Coach Gregory, for coming on with me. It's another example of the great people we have in the game. I appreciate his honesty and sincerity in running his program. I can't recommend enough to reach out to people in the game that you don't know that are having success – They'll help you get some new ideas and also reaffirm what you're doing well. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownly at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram, Ryan 17 or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you.